Welcome to the Insight Through Experience podcast, a podcast created to provide information about what life is like inside the most specialized special tactics organization in the U.S. Air Force. In these episodes, we'll be bringing you the experiences from many of our experts, ranging from our human performance optimization staff, our combat mission supporters, as well as our special warfare operators. Our main objective with these podcasts are to provide the listener with a unique look inside our culture of excellence in hopes that you will make the 724 a future career goal. Now sit back, relax, take some notes, prepare to hear from some of the Air Force's finest. Thank you for joining us on the Insight Through Experience podcast. Welcome back to the Insight Through Experience podcast, everybody. My name is Trey. I'm going to be your host today, and it is good to be back. I know it's been a minute, but we developed an episode this week to bring you all the information that you could ever want about the support assessment and selection side of the house. Now, we have covered in the past tons of operator assessment and selection information, and I guarantee there's tons of you out there wishing you had more information about the support side. We're gonna cover everything from your first contact with recruiters all the way to the end of the process where you are either told you are hired or not hired. Folks, this is a special one. I brought three experts here with me today. I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. But first, let me just say one more time, thank you for joining us. We're excited to have you. Let's get on with the episode. All right, welcome to the podcast, everybody. I am going to let our guests introduce themselves. We're going to start off with Rob. Rob, go ahead. Introduce yourself to the audience, please. Hey, I'm Rob Brault. I'm one of two support recruiters for our unit. Um, Mr. Mark Fortenberry is sorry that he can't be here, but he's the other support recruiter that I work with. We're basically interchangeable. My name's Chad. I'm the command psychologist for the unit. We basically run and manage all the psychological components and aspects of assessment and selection for the organization. Hi, I'm Barb. I'm the other operational psychologist here in the unit. All right, folks. So as we get going, Chad, we'll start with you. Just explain really why this unit spends so much time selectively hiring the members that come into our team. Sure. Uh, I think first and foremost, it's a requirement for our greater command. So all of our peers and our joint services will also go through a similar uh, assessment selection program. So part of it is just to meet the requirements of the greater command. I think in general, if we break it down to the basics, we're looking for smart people. Um, and most of the command is looking for certain IQ scores and certain levels of intelligence to do a job that becomes very complicated and requires difficult problem solving, which means we have to bring that into the organization because we're not going to necessarily grow that or build it while they're here. The other part of that is just the overall stability of people. Um, the, the demands of our command are inducing of stress. So we need to screen for certain levels of stress tolerance Uh, and stability before they come into the organization because we're only going to add stress to people's plate and we will give people support to manage that throughout the career but we need a certain level as we bring them in um, uh, kind of a baseline level of stability and lastly is just to make sure they're motivated to do the jobs we're asking them to do Uh, i think a lot of times in soft organizations people have an idea of what it is um, and they think it's very sexy and it is but they also forget about the grind that's required uh, to actually do the 15 minutes of operational activities Um, So we need to make sure that their motivation is internal uh, and not external because we don't have the ability to apply that here. Yeah, Trey, I think that's an excellent question. Um, Why do we screen to the level that we do? And and a lot of it is um, that out of those 67 different AFSCs, our unit members are going to have the opportunity to work not only within their AFSC that we've hired them for, but they are going to work outside of their AFSC and have to work 
with other DOD entities and other government agencies that they typically wouldn't be able to do that. So there's a the purpose of ensuring that we have the right people on the team is so that uh, we know that they are comfortable enough to interact with those other entities that we work with day in and day out. And lastly, I would just say that it's very rare in the military setting that you also have a choice of where you're going to work next. And so it allows individuals that are going to be called on to do their very best in a chaotic environment for a very long time to actually meet their future teammates, see the environment and assess for themselves whether they believe it's a good fit for them at this point in life. Yeah, what a great opportunity that is that most people in the military anyway never get that opportunity to come assess for an organization like this and actually get to get a choice. Um, yeah, awesome stuff. Chad, Barb, um, the foundation, everything this is built on now, and we've spent a lot of time over the past two years trying to get this right, are our attributes. Can y'all just briefly explain the attributes and why they're the foundation of what we're doing here? I would say overall, kind of just to reiterate what you said, we do an attribute-based assessment here, not a skills-based assessment. I think that's one of the initial expectations people have to kind of get over. Most people come here to assess and say that they're an intelligence specialist uh, or psychologist, they think they're going to be assessed on their ability to be a psychologist or an intel specialist. And most of our work centers aren't doing that. They're looking at our attributes. And I think that's probably the first thing that people kind of get confused about when they're coming through our process. Our attributes, we assess for five. Uh, and just a little bit of background so you understand the scientific uh, work we put into them. Over the past three years, we've had RAND under contract to help us with an external agency make our attributes objective and bias-free. We started that process doing a job analysis, which is really bringing experts together and figuring out what matters to this organization. We did that for a week-long process. We brought out 80 people from 50 different Air Force specialty codes um, to discuss what attributes were important, and we came up with five. To further validate that, we also did a survey of everyone in the organization with a, with a response rate uh, almost 50%. And we asked them to discuss the importance of those five attributes, uh, both per their AFSC, per their specialty, per their officer, enlisted, or operator, or support. And then also, if they're more important or equally important across a uh, deployed setting, garrison setting, uh, training setting, or um, near-peer setting. And I say all that to say we came up with five that were equally rated across all AFSCs, uh, the same for officers and enlisted, the same for support, and the same for operators. So simply put, we assess the same five attributes for every single person that's being assessed in this organization. Those five attributes are, in no particular order, problem solving, stress tolerance, communication, drive, and interpersonal effectiveness. And we train all of our raters uh, yearly, initially and yearly, to understand how to rate those behaviors in other human beings. So, for example, if we say, how do you rate communication, all of the raters are trained to say communication for us is message quality, message delivery, and active listening. Or if they say, how do you rate problem solving, our raters know to rate your problem solving on problem identification, uh, co-development, and problem execution. So they're trained to elicit those attributes and then rate them at a very granular and specific level to get an overall attribute rating. Barb, I'd like to get your thoughts on how you've seen the evolution of this since you've been here. You've been here for over four years now, and um, when you got here, we weren't really using an attribute-based system per se. So how has that evolution been for you, and what feedback have you gotten? 
So I think on I've gotten positive feedback on both ends from the Raiders or from the current unit members. I'm hearing that our capabilities are increasing and that they're enjoying the talent and the persons of their teammates that we've hired through the attributes based process. From the applicants perspective, even last week, I've heard their trust in the process is so much higher because they their belief that it is based in science and that it's a fair process um, is, you know, it's comforting to know. And so they they get to see an organization that's not hiring based on, you know, kind of the who, you know, um, it's really who you are. And it's our job to to bring that out. But it's part of why we're doing this here today, too, is to give you some expectations so that we can see the real you when you're here. Yeah, for sure. And um, I will probably say this again as we proceed through this. But the whole point of this is, is we're not trying to hide anything when folks come up here. We're trying to be as transparent as we can be. So when you come up, we get the best look at you that we can get. All right, Rob, speaking of them coming up, can you give us just a brief outline? What can the applicants expect from the time they maybe figure out that they want to contact you to that first contact with you and Mark to the time the process is over? Can you walk us through that general timeline, please? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, hey, we want you to keep your family and your chain of command informed. Because um, we're going to ask you when you come here, hey, did, did you notify your uh, family about uh, this opportunity and, and how do they feel about it? Then I want you to really look at keeping your chain of command informed because on page uh, 12 and 13 of our application, there's a commander's evaluation form and your command is going to fill that out and submit that along with your completed application. Once you submit that uh, completed application with all your source documents, um, we're going to put it through our review process. And that review process is going to consist of the unit members are going to look at your application to where you're potentially going to work. Whether you're a 3D or you're an Intel specialist, it'll go to those particular uh, sections in our unit. Simultaneously, we'll be taking your application and some information off of it and submitting it down to Green Door. Are you available to PCS? Is there something that's preventing you from coming to our unit? And we'll know all those things prior to sending you out an invitation to come to our unit for a four to five day TDY job interview at our commander's expense. And it typically takes us about three to four weeks to look at your completed application <clears throat> before we're able to make that sound decision whether to bring you in for uh, an interview. I think if we look at the contracting process, there's just a couple other steps that I think those applicants need to know. I'll just use KBR because it's the one that we're most currently using right now that we have several other contracts. If you're a contractor, you have to apply to your contracting company first. Once they say you meet the professional or performance work statement, they'll actually send it to whoever the specialist in the unit is. So say it's a PODIF contract position, they'll send it to myself. We will review that for approval to assess. And then we send it to Mark and Rob, who then do the same things that Rob just said. He, Mark and Rob then coordinate and represent the command all the way from our approval to invite uh, to decision and back out. Uh, and GS is similar, and Robin, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's going through an AFPC process where uh, like 100 people could apply, and then we have to get it whittled down, and then we have to invite them quicker. For the, uh, the GS and the GG candidates, they're going to log on to usajobs.gov. They're going to submit um, an application through their process, and that typically takes you know anyone from 
three to four hours to submit that application through their online portal. About two weeks later, after the uh, window closes for the GS or the GG positions, we then get a list of all the resumes that have made it through their prerequisites. From there, we'll hone that list down for the top quality candidates that have applied and then reach out to those and invite them in for that in-person interview. And that's typically a three to four day, excuse me, a two to three day process for the GS and the GG candidates. Yeah, Rob, if you could keep elaborating on what are the differences. So in the process itself, when the folks come here, what's the difference? Um, if you're a military person, civilian looking for that GS or GG job or a contractor, what are those brief differences that they face when they get here? Yeah, so when the uh, military show up, it is a four to five day TDY job interview. Um, and that's, at, again, at our commander's expense. If you're a three Delta, a communication specialist, um, whether it's RF trans or whatever, you might have some PT events during that, um, during your time with us. The same thing for some Intel professionals as well. If you're a civilian uh, applying for one of the GG and the or the GS positions, that's a two to three day uh, screening process. There's no physical activity for them. Um, typically, they want to join in, and we understand. But, uh, you know, they go through a two- to three-day three screening process. For our contractors, it is a one- to two-day screening process. And, again, there's no physical activity for them. And you may have said this earlier, but I just want to foot-stomp it here. Um, you said some people have requirements. May, they might have to do PT. Other AFSCs may not. Um, how do they know that before they get here? Is all that going to be wrapped up in their reporting instructions? Yeah, so great question. So all the people that will need to uh, do some uh, some PT activities, we'll send that to them in their reporting instructions along with uniform requirements um, that they may need uh, in order to do those uh, extra activities. I think it's important also just to discuss briefly the differences psychologically and medically for those screenings. So active duty, we can do almost anything that we need to do to get to the answers we need to to make a hiring recommendation. For GS or contractors, they do not have a medical and psychological screening before they come. There is no phase one review of their applications, just so they understand that as they apply and go through the process. We also don't give the same amount of psychological assessments based on the American Disabilities Act. So there's some tests that we give to active duty that actually measure psychological disorders that we're not able to give to GS and contractors. So when they're going through the process, if we bring a bunch of people in, they might see active duty testing much longer than a contractor or a GS would, just so they understand the differences. Perfect. Love it. I just want to discuss the website real quick before we move on. Uh, the website, especially for the military folks, is the entryway into everything 724. So the best way to get to our website is to go to Google and just Google 724 Special Tactics Group or 724 STG, and it'll be your first return. Inside the web page itself, you're going to find tons of information about the unit, and we do that on purpose. We have about eight or nine videos on there sporadically throughout the website just to give everybody a feel for what we do on a daily basis. We're going to describe the ANS processes kind of like, um, like we're doing here today. And that is the link to the application itself, which is a PDF application that um, military folks will fill out and get that to Mark and Rob. So again, the website is the place. And by the way, it has a link to all the podcasts we've done up to this point. So not only can you listen to this, but you can go listen to other AFSCs describe life inside the 724 from their perspective as well. So a lot of good things to find on the website. Rob, as applicants submit their application, what happens next? Um, why might someone submit an application but not get invited to the process? 
Yeah. So uh, once they submit their completed application, like we kind of discussed earlier, it goes into our review process and the sections of the unit look at it. Simultaneously, we're sending it down to Green Door, and these are for our military candidates. Um, and I'll talk about the other candidates later on in, during this uh, screening process. But we're also going to look at um, their security clearance eligibility, and that's just kind of a review quickly into JPASS. We'll look at their medical background, the timing. Maybe they're faced with a DROS right now, and the timing just isn't lined up for uh, a, a backfill replacement for the particular AFSC that we're looking for. So that might be one of the things that prevents somebody from coming to an assessment and screening uh, interview. So we're also looking for positions 18 months out. So if there's a, a potential, say, 1-0, an Intel professional that's looking for a job, we're looking at backfilling someone's position 18 months back so we can get them here in a timely manner, bring them through the assessment and screening process, make that hiring decision, allow them the time to say, hey, maybe I got a house to sell, kids are in school, so that they have some understanding, that they have some predictability in their life to come to our unit. Along with the GS and the contractors, we also reach out to them once we get their completed resume, send it out to the different sections. Sections have all the say in the world whether they wanna bring in that candidate at that point. Once they say, yep, let's bring them in, Mark and myself reach out to them, set up their travel, set up their timing, bring them on in. We typically uh, run the assessments the third week of every month out at a hotel in the uh, Aberdeen, North Carolina area. And uh, at the end of that, then those GS and contractors will be known, hey, thank you for coming. We appreciate it. But the, uh, the GS or the contracting representative will get back in touch with them. We're unable to give them a hiring decision at the end of our process unlike the military who get a hiring decision the last day of screening. For folks who apply but don't get to come to the ANS process for whatever reason, um, what's their future? Can they reapply? Is that going to be told to them? Are the results going to be told to them? How do we communicate that back out? Trey, I think if we're talking about phase one, uh, not invites, we are more general in that, just so we don't release information that can be used kind of to gain the system. Um, though we bring out the vast majority, I think still, Rob, but uh, this, the ones we don't, it is a it is an ambiguously worded, you're not invited to selection. You can always reapply, but we don't want to say the real reasons and specific reasons to keep the process protected. Yeah, and I just want to make it clear out there that sometimes we're hiring one person and a lot of applications come in for that spot. So clearly we can't bring 15 people to look at for one spot. So Rob and Mark and the work centers have to make some tough choices on who to bring and who not to bring. So I just want to throw that out there because I know what it would be like to submit an application and, and not get invited and think, man, there might be something wrong with me. You just got to know that we're doing calculus on our side too. And sometimes there's just a whole lot of applications for not a lot of, a lot of spots here at the unit. Yeah, it's absolutely a highly competitive environment when they submit their application. All right. So to the group, and I think this is important because let's say that Rob and Mark just gave them the word that, hey, we're going to bring you and it's still a couple of weeks out before you're going to come to the ANS process. What are things these folks could be doing to better prepare themselves and show up here better prepared um, while they're waiting? Yeah, I would absolutely say get on the website and start listening to some of these podcasts so that they have a better understanding of our unit's culture and what we value. Um, because the last thing we want people to do is come up to our uh, assessment and screening uh, events and then posture 
and, and say, hey, I think this is what in the way they want me to act or behave. And that's so not what we're looking for. We're looking for authentic, real people that want to do this job. I would echo that. I think it's always astounding how little research people actually put into this organization before they come. I do think this podcast and website has changed a lot of that. I think every POTIF contractor we've actually assessed in the past year has listened to those podcasts, but it still is. The old advice used to be research the company. I'm not sure we see that all the time. So I think my number one recommendation would be study the unit. Uh, acknowledge you might not find all the information, but you can figure out what special tactics is and what kind of, kind of specialties come here. I think the second thing I would say is study yourself. So you should have a general uh, knowledge of what you're good at and what you're bad at, right? Part of the assessment is just for us to understand if you can capitalize on your strengths and you can mitigate your weaknesses. But if you don't know those two things, um, that's not a good kind of setup to get hired in this organization. Last, I would also say get some feedback from people you trust. If it's your superiors, your subordinates, or your peers, uh, I'd probably really focus on those peers. Uh, you'll get you'll get a good swath of feedback about what those strengths and weaknesses are at, at the at the very simplest, at least the psychological portion is to see if you're insightful enough to be successful at this organization and doing the prep of knowing the unit. You know, if you want to work here, knowing yourself, you know, if you can work here and knowing what others think of you, allow you to leverage your strengths and mitigate your weaknesses. Yeah, come ready to compete. This is a competitive environment. It is part of our culture. We enjoy solving hard problems and we really need people who are driven and excited to be here. So it may be that you have never had an interview before and that's why we're putting this out, right? To, to manage your expectations. And I would say, um, come ready to compete just like you would to any other competitive environment. Love it, love all those. I would just probably add one thing and it would be to start finding ways to push yourself back out of your comfort zone before you show up here, because I promise you, we will get you out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, and there's reasons behind that, but you know, folks like Intel folks who brief in front of people a lot, I think they have a, a, a little bit of advantage coming here because they, they push themselves a lot in those environments. Other AFSCs don't have to do that a lot, but you will find yourself in a room doing a, a friendly interview with a whole bunch of people at this organization. So if you haven't been in that environment in a while, they could, make the stress ramp up a little too much sometimes. And we just want to prevent that because we can't see you when the stress is, has you in the red. So maybe get some reps, uh, get yourself uncomfortable, brief somebody um, outside the norm. I do some public speaking, some things that will just push you a little bit. So when you get here, you can be a little more comfortable. Rob, once the applicants show up to the hotel and it's time to start the assessment process, what can they expect? First of all, yeah, you can expect long days. Um, we're going to start, start bright and early. Typically, we start around 0630 in the morning, and the first day doesn't end until around 20, 2100 for some people. That is a long day. And, and Trey, I think you really hit the nail on the head saying, hey, uh, start untying that tongue and, and, and learn how to speak and talk about yourself because we have a lot of questions. And, and not only are we interviewing you, but you're interviewing us as well. And that is not lost on us in any way, shape, or form. And uh, we expect you to have some real pertinent questions of what is the day in the life like doing my job? So day one wraps up, like I said, around 20, 2100. And we're going to hit it the next day, probably around 06. And you're gonna, you'd expect nothing less from us than to kind of bring you through our ANS process with a security interview. You're going to talk to our security managers. You may possess a TS, TSSCI already. 
That's fine. That's great. Let's make sure you can obtain and retain the level of security clearance that you need to possess in order to do your job effectively. From there, you're going to get some work center time. Um, and you may not, you know, be the, the best at a certain piece of equipment that uh, your job uh, says that you should be really good at. Say you're a 3D uh, OX2 and you're an RF trans guy uh, and, and you work on either the server or whatever. We may put a server in front of you that you've never seen before and ask you to troubleshoot it. Now, you may come back and say, Hop, you know, I didn't do very well in there. But the next day, don't think that we're not going to ask you some more questions about maybe that server and see what you retain. Maybe you look some things up that night. So we're looking to see, hey, are you willing and wanting to do that job? At the end of the four to five day TDY process, screening process is going to be the commander's uh, you know, board. And that typically only lasts about five to 10 minutes. And we don't want you to save anything for that board. Put it all out on the table. Give us your absolute best effort from days one through four all the way up there because it is the work center evaluations that really uh, make it count for you uh, at the end of this hiring process. Awesome, thanks, Rob. Chad, Barb, any uh, things? You, you guys are sitting through all of these too, so anything that's pertinent to relay what they can expect once they get here? The third main data point for our hiring boards is the peer assessment. So every active duty candidate, so this isn't applicable for the contractors or the GS, um, on day one and day three, they will do a group peer assessment. Um, we really do that because we want people from the very beginning to understand that we're going to solve problems with different specialists here. And the big Air Force doesn't do that. So we want to force function that right up front. The second reason we do that is we want people to understand that um, we, we care about feedback. Right? We care about it. We invest in it. We want to train you how to do it better. Uh, and this is the first test of our taste of our organization is going to show you how much we value it by asking you to do it. And we're going to help you along that process. And the third thing with that peer event is now this will be your cohort, right? So at least I'm assuming at least one to two of the people you've came through that event with will start roughly in the same month. So at least you have a familiar face when you're coming through the process. But that peer event, again, is the late night events. It's with a bunch of different AFSCs. And then you'll rate all the candidates on our attributes. So on day one, either Barbara or I will explain those attributes to the candidates, explain what the facet level definitions are, give a little bit of a brief on biases so we can kind of mitigate those common biases. And then at the end of day three, uh, you're gonna rate all your peers on the assignment that we've given you, which is just a complex group problem solving event. And that data will also go to the board as the third data point. Beautiful, and I just want to take a little bit of the mystery um, away from this, because I think if I'm listening to that, I'm like, oh, crap, man, maybe I don't want to go there. Uh, this event is fun. If you ask me, like to get to sit here with um, people that you don't know and, and learn more about them and get to try to put effort towards this problem that we give you, which is a to me, it's a fun problem to solve because it's going to push you a little bit. But it's also fun to figure out how you would solve this problem. So getting interact with your peers. It lets you build kind of a team while you're here. And uh, I think that takes a lot of stress off of people just uh, getting to interact and um, not go back to your room and, and kind of be a uh, end of one up in your room waiting for the next stressful event to start. Let's talk about the psychological side of selection, because I think once people get here, I think this intimidates them as much as anything in the process. So, Chad, can you just walk us through a little bit of what they're going to get psychologically um, when they get here and what they can expect to uh, kind of again, take some of that uh, mystery away. 
Sure. Um, after Mark and Rob talk to you on day one, the first thing you're going to do is your psychological assessment portion. That's going to be somewhere between four to five hours of psychological testing, uh, maybe three to four for the contractors and the GS. But what we're really doing is looking at your overall ability, your overall stability, and your overall motivation, right? We're trying to get at your IQ and your personality to make sure it aligns with our hiring criteria. Once that uh, testing is complete, the next time you interact with the psych side of the house will be with a psychologist. So a, a psychologist will sit down with each and every candidate, regardless if you're active duty contractor or GS, and we're going to do a psychological interview. That is a standardized interview. It's the same interview for every candidate and the same questions for every candidate. Um, and we're really looking, again, to confirm your ability, stability, and motivation. We're also looking to confirm testing, right? I think I think no one wants to be hired just on their psych testing alone, uh, right? So you have to get an interview to either confirm or deny what your testing says. And, and lastly, we're really looking for your compensatory behaviors, right? Uh, I'm not perfect, Barb not perfect, Rob and Trey aren't perfect either. But we want those insightful people that know what that weakness is and have a compensatory strategy to manage that weakness or know what that strength is and give kind of very specific behavioral examples where they can leverage and manage that strength to the greater good of the organization. And altogether, you're probably going to spend about seven hours to eight hours with psychologists during the process. Yeah, that's overwhelming to hear. But I love <laughs> I, I love how you just explained it, though, Chad. What I just want to relay out to the audience is this is not something to fear and this isn't something to sit down and think that you have to try to game the system all the way through. Um, really, it's just a great way to let us understand you better. So if we hire you, we know how to support you and make you a better version of you. Um, if you just look at it that way, you're going to win and the process will be kind of cool, actually. If you come in here dreading it and try to hide stuff and, and answer incorrectly on tests um, on purpose, and not a lot of people do that. I'm not trying to say that's a, a huge problem out there, but this process and i've watched it now for about 15 years um we've got this dialed down so if you just come in and be authentic and be you as rob said earlier uh, you're going to win and we're going to win and then um, you won't leave here um, regretting that you came in and were just authentic trey if i could What's say one with, more thing too please do to, chad yeah and highlight the importance your entire developmental program starts on that testing right so if we hire you when you come in barbara and i are going to give you your feedback on your testing and then we're here to support those strengths and support those weaknesses so you can perform for this organization, right? So it's really the start of our talent management plan. I know it doesn't feel like that in the beginning, but really that data is going to follow you on day one of your in-processing and it's going to help you be successful with this organization. So the more honest you are, the more likely we can leverage that to make you successful day one in this organization. Beautiful. Love it. What's done with the information that we collect for people that aren't hired? Because I think that would also caused me some angst when I came through here and I didn't get hired, but boy, I sure told them a lot about myself. Yeah, it is a great question. And I think a few people have that fear. So we will go through it before they even begin the testing, but all of that information stays with us. So Chad and I will see the information obviously before we interview each candidate. And then it is, collected and it goes into our in internal system on a classified network. So literally our eyes are going to be the only eyes that that see those files. I do think that's important to footstop. So we almost have two different data streams coming into the process, actually three, right? So your psych and medical data is PII and it's going to be handled as such. So the only people that are going to see the medical people are psychologists and medics, and that stays in the medical psych PII lanes. 
the psychological data is only going to be seen by psychological people. Uh, no one on a work center other than the senior rater who sits on the hiring board even gets a back brief on your psychological health, right? So if 15 people are in your assessment, only one person in that room is going to hear anything about your medical or psychological health. And that's that's also only if it's pertinent to the hiring decision. So that medical psych data is pushed to a different uh, a different kind of classification system, both real classification system, but also PII. The peer data and the work center data is is still sensitive. So not everyone gets to see that. Only the people that have been approved by a commander to sit on a hiring board and only the people that have been approved by commanders to actually participate in work centers because not everyone hires or makes recommendations for hiring in this command. That data goes into a system that is secured uh, and, and it is only only certain people have access to it. Uh, so, for example, if Jimmy can rate Sally during the work center, Jimmy only gets to see what that work center puts into the system, where if Trey is on the hiring board, Trey gets to see the final work center vote, the psych recommendation and the medical recommendation. So it's very compartmentalized to protect the sensitivity and privacy of the people coming in. One last piece on the, the psych interview. Most people who have never sat down with a psychologist have a lot of assumptions and expectations about the strange or weird questions that we might ask. And I will just say there really aren't any of those. The second thing is that a lot of times, more times than I can count, people have said to me before we begin, I just really don't like talking about myself. So we get it. We don't enjoy talking about ourselves either, but it's a necessary part of the process and a really important part because that's when we get to find out why and how you became the unique person that you are. And that just doesn't come out any other way. So you don't think about it as self-promoting. If you could just think about it as a discussion, that would be better. Last comment, like we wanna hire everyone guys. Like just so you know that, like we're not here to screen people out, though you might think that coming in. We want to hire everyone so we can actually assess, assess people less often. I think, the, I think the common reframe outside of this is we're looking for your weaknesses to not hire you. We're only looking for weaknesses to see if it can survive in this organization and we can take care of it. And we're really looking for your strengths to make us better. And we do want to hire everyone. It's hard to it's hard to say do not recommend to someone's put so much time into the process. I just I just hope everyone understands that we want to get to yes. Chad, we've done a lot of evolution with our work centers. We've professionalized them. We have um, updated them with um, by integrating our attributes inside. So, hey, can you just describe that real quick and why? these work centers and how we've evolved them are such a critical piece to the process. Yeah, I think just to give you some evolution of this, we actually, we brought RAND out, which is an external think tank, right? We brought out an external think tank just to say uh, it's a non-internal, so more objective uh, mindset. And that's their expertise. They do this for a full-time job. So we started bringing them out in 2015 when we started looking at bringing women into soft, right? So that's the really when we started looking at, hey, how do we get rid of um, things that are bias inducing and things that aren't related to performance. And Rand came out and did that for our officers in 2015. In reality, officers are the smallest part of our formation. So we tried to make that a better process. And in 2019, we brought out Rand again, like I said before, but that's really where we got our attributes. Um, and then in 2020, we put them on another contract where we got at how do we assess fully without using skills in a work center. Between those events, these are kind of really the processes we do to make sure that our work centers are legit. So first and foremost is we make sure that everyone is rater trained that goes through any process of assessment selection. 
you have to do that initially and you have to do that yearly. And that goes all the way up to the unit commander to verify that. And we do have the authority to move you off the work centers if you have not been completed in that year, calendar year. Um, so one, you have to be trained. So you have to understand what those attributes are. You have to understand how to ask good questions. You have to understand what the biases are and how the process works. The second thing that happens is Barb or I will work, meet with every work center um, every year and actually go over what events they're doing and what attribute they hope that elicits. We call that an attribute times event matrix. But that's really so anyone in the work center can say we're doing event one and event one measures communication. We do event two and that measures problem solving. So it keeps people honest to the process of why they're doing it. And then we don't throw in weird kind of side events that are just bias induced and don't help us look at attributes. We do that validation one time a year. So Barbara and I go through every work center. It's roughly 26 for those 67 different AFSCs. The rebel, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's about 26 of those that we're validating every year just to make sure that they're valid. Again, they say what they do, what they say they're going to do, and then they're reliable, uh, which means we don't have to change it every time. So there's consistency in the data there. The next thing we've added in the past year is candidate feedback. So at the end of every work center, the candidates actually go in and rate the work center. And what that really gives us is, hey, if we say this event is rating stress tolerance, but five out of five candidates say it's measuring communication, are we really rating the right thing? That just gives us feedback to keep it appropriate. That candidate feedback also tells us what the most stressful events are, which is really what we want, right? We want to induce stress, guys, to reduce defenses to see the real person. So if we're doing a bunch of events that no one finds stressful, that's not a good assessment selection program. And then the last thing they do in that candidate feedback is give us, give us uh, kind of qualitative feedback that helps us refine our process. That will go right back. They get that twice a year. So Barb and I and Abby, who's kind of running that data collection, will send that to the work centers twice a year so they can continuously look at their process and make it better. We also put all that in a system we call Smartabase. The names are relevant, but it is a repository of data but then we can build your talent management program from the very beginning. And it is protected. Only certain people have access, but that's how raters rate you. So when they rate event one on problem solving, that data will be with us for your tenure in the career so we can help develop you throughout the process. And, and I've been doing selection for a long time, and so is Barb. I'm pretty confident to say that we have the most uh, locked on work centers in terms of what they're assessing, why they're assessing, and how they articulate that and how they rate it across the board. I just want everybody to hear that so they can understand that this isn't Rob just doesn't send an email out about two hours before y'all get here looking for raiders. Like this is a very methodical process that has been well thought out, well executed and um, well tested all the way through. I'm just looking for what some feedback all of y'all have gotten over the past year since we've moved to this more um, attribute based model. I would say uh, when the candidates are you know, getting ready to kind of be finished with uh, the assessment and screening process, they have all come around and said, hey, this is one of the most professional organizations that I've ever assessed with. Or I, I had a different thought about coming to the assessment selection, and it was totally proven to be a more professional uh, setting for them. So uh, that's some of the more recent feedback that I've received. Uh, I'm sure Doc and Barb have had a similar I, I think for us, if we talk specifically for our HBO POTA bodies, like the, the Surgeon General gets the same assessment as the contract social worker here. So we have one assessment we do for everyone that does dislocate expectations. So most of those people think they're coming in, uh, you know, a surgeon thinks they're coming in and doing medical stuff and a social worker thinks they're coming in and talk about clients and neither would do either in their work center. Um, so it's a little bit dislocating, which is another reason why we're doing this. 
I think most people uh, actually say they benefited from the experience. So we've had a, we have almost, I would say, 90% people up there, you know, 10% get mad because they're not hired. Uh, but most people do really learn something about themselves um, because we're digging at who they are and what they are, not what they can do. And I think that force functions people to learn about themselves. Awesome. Barb, I want to ask you this question because I think this will be so valuable for people as they're about to come to our process or they're in the middle of our process and they're listening to this again. So as applicants enter their work centers or just before they go in, what are some things they can do to help manage that stress? And maybe even more importantly, when they go back to the room that night to try to get some sleep uh, and it's just ruminating, they feel like they've messed everything up today. What are some strategies they can do to get themselves ready for tomorrow? Yeah, I think number one, uh, remember what Chad said earlier is that part of the process is built on purpose to induce stress. So if you're feeling stress, that's just a part of the process, right? It has nothing to do with you individually. Um, you haven't been called out for any certain reason just because of some mistake that you made necessarily, right? So remember that it's just part of the process. Remember that we don't hire perfect people. I've been here five years and not one perfect person has walked through the door yet. So uh, you're in good company. Remember that we're hiring for attributes and not all of us are at 100% on each of those five attributes. Remember that all of us have been through this process. So we were all feeling just what you're feeling now and, you know, and have been through it. So you're not alone. It's just your turn right now, which is a really exciting opportunity, right? So what you can do is keep in mind why you're here and actually work on that ahead of time. Know why you want to come. And in those moments where you're feeling stressed out, remembering why you're here is going to be helpful um, motivation to push you through. Also work on breathing when you're under pressure. So breathing a little bit more intentionally can bring more oxygen to the brain, which is going to allow your logical brain to take over and for you to really crush some of these events and some of these questions that are put in front of you. When you notice that something triggers an emotion, whether it be kind of stress or panic, embarrassment, you name it, just recognize that that is part of the process. It's purposeful and allow yourself to just come right back to the task at hand, which should, again, flip on the switch for that logical brain or logical part of your brain. Beautiful. Rob, let's move to board process. So we've been through the week. Um, it's time now for the decisions to be made and given to the candidates um, for those who are going to receive it. Can you describe that process a little bit and how they're going to receive their final decisions when they're here? Yeah, absolutely. So well, let's start with the military. <clears throat> and we'll bring them in by their group by uh, first of all, say, hey, maybe we're going to do all intel during this time frame. So the first candidate will come in individually this is an individual event and uh, we'll bring them into the room there'll be a lonely chair waiting for them there'll be people in there like the commander of the uh, intel section or, or the intel squadron there'll be the c or the uh, or the chief in there there'll be the unit psychologist and there'll be another uh, you know rasd re recruit assess and select and develop unit member in that room Typically, if we've done our job well, we'll have zero questions for them. Uh, and, and it can last about 45 seconds. 
And the commander's going to look you clearly in your eye and say, hey, congratulations. We want to offer you a job. And uh, that's a pretty exciting time. And most people, most people are grinning from ear to ear at that point. But, but let's face it, not everybody gets that news. Sometimes you get the other, the bad news where, hey, it's not a good fit. It's not a good match right now. And we'd like you to reapply in 6, 12, 18 months, whatever the commander offers you at that point in time. Uh, from there, we'll have you leave the room. And then for the people that are hired, a uh, unit member is going to come on up to them and talk to them about the next phase. What does that transition look like from the time that uh, they're going to come to our unit? And typically, it's about 120 days prior to PCSing to our unit. And uh, we're going to sign them a sponsor, a welcome packet, and kind of let them know, you know who we are, what we're doing, and how they're going to integrate our unit. For the folks that are not hired, they're also going to get some feedback on how well they performed during the work center. They can take that information, utilize it effectively, grow and maybe find a mentor to help pan those things out and then reapply, you know, at a later time. For our GS and our contractors, it's non-climactic. At the end of the day, the commander is going to look at them and say, hey, you did a great job. Thank you for coming on in. But we'll let our recommendation go to the uh, AFPC, OPM, or the contract representative. And then it's their job from there to notify the candidates on their standings. Chad and Barb, you get to sit in every board that we have. Um, what are some other uh, maybe things we could describe or explain on here? Because I think, I know from the operator perspective anyway, you want to talk about the most stressful event it's walking into that room so what are some experiences you've seen and maybe what are some ways we can help um maybe de-stress them a little bit as they're walking in there to get that news uh i would say just the only other pieces of data i would say that the board's getting just so people have that awareness is security if there's a security recommendation or not and then their peer assessments so that's that's probably i think probably the whole whole data slew that they're going to get on each candidate I think if I could say how to be less anxious, though, every time I go to a board, I'm incredibly anxious when, when I know what's going on and I have to sit in front of that board, which I just had to do. Uh, I would say it's just know that everyone has the best intentions at heart and the data is objective, right? So we're making the best decision for the unit and for you, even though it might not feel that way, right? At the end of the day, we're not going to bring people here that we could potentially uh, ruin, right? Or hurt or harm either professionally or personally. Um, and we're putting a, we've, we didn't spend, I spent almost every day for five years uh, with Rob, Trey, and Barr making this an objective process. So just know the data that's, that's being said about you is bias free as it can be. It's objective and it incorporates three very independent streams of data from a psychologist, from your peers, and from your work centers to give the commander the ability to judge that risk and potential and bring it onto the organization or not. I would also say, just remember at the end of it, hired or not, you're gonna get feedback from the work center about what you did well and what you didn't, but you can be a better person, right? That doesn't always feel good for about two weeks, but at the end of the day, you will become a better person for having gone through this process, hired or not hired. And I think if you remember those two things, um, it's a little bit less nerve wracking. Wonderful, Rob, they just walked out of the room, whether hired or not, um, what happens now um, at the end of the process? So at the end of the process, Mark and I will sit down with every hired candidate and we're gonna talk about what's their report not later than date. And we're gonna sync that up right then and there before they leave. This is for the military folks, not, clearly not for the GS or the contractors, but for the military folks, they're gonna get a hiring decision 
right there on the spot. And we're going to talk about their day that they're going to report. And typically within about a week's time frame, they're going to get a rip that's going to be sent right to them. It's a fast-moving process for them. Uh, and we, we've already talked about the people that don't get hired and they get their feedback. But uh, for the ones that do get hired, we are welcome them into our family at that point. Is it a, is that the last day? Is everybody going home at that point? Everybody um, cleared to leave after the boards? So right after the boards, they are cleared to leave, but a lot of them end up, you know, staying another night in the hotel because some of them are flying back from, to overseas assignments. Uh, and then we're waiting for them to kind of finish up uh, over there and come back on their DROs. So Awesome. Uh, you used the term green door earlier. Could you just explain to people what that is for those who might not know? So for those that are not familiar with Green Door, Green Door is a subcomponent of AFPC. They help handle our units and other like organizations with our manning, things like that. So when you do submit your application and we're excited to kind of bring you on in, we're making sure that we can PCS you. So we know we can hire you before we even bring you in for that interview. What we don't know is you and you don't know us. So that's what that whole entire ANS week is all about, getting to know each other. Rob kind of hit this, but for contracts, we actually will um, we'll let the contracting company know at the end of that board, and most contracts notify the candidates in 24 to 72 hours. Um, we don't get the ability to tell you, like Rob said, um, and then we can't really make contact with you either until the contract company actually says that we offered you a job and you accept the terms of that job. At that point, the unit will re-engage you and start the onboarding process. GS is actually a little bit even more bureaucratic because the Rob has to go into the system if we want to hire you or not, click who we want to hire, and has to go through the AFPC process. So that could take up to two weeks, I think, Rob. Uh, yeah, sometimes that. longer. It all depends. They're still on uh, minimal manning right now, so it takes them a little bit longer, two to three weeks, to get back to each GS or GG candidate. And I just think that's oh, something good. we can't understand so they don't think we forgot about them. We don't get to control the timelines for contracts or GS. Uh, we also want to let you know right away so you don't go take another job or apply for another job. Uh, but we're at, we're beholden to both the contracting companies manning and the GS kind of GG's manning and, and bureaucracy processes. Just from somebody who doesn't know a lot about the contracting side of this, and I have some smart people on the line here that do, what are we in control of and what aren't we in control of once um, it gets turned back over to the contracting agency to do that hire for us? So, uh... A lot of people are under the uh, misperception that we control that hiring authority. We don't. We have nothing to do with the, the money, the benefits package that they're going to have to negotiate with that contracting company um, on what that would look like for their individual position. Um, all we do is make that recommendation to them. The only thing we actually control, and Rob, correct me if I'm wrong, is the date that we'll accept their start date, right? So it's the date that we'll bring them onto the organization. For the POTIF contractors, we can waive a security clearance because most people that apply for our jobs don't have a top secret uh, SCI clearance. So we can actually control asking for a waiver, though that's a SOCOM decision, and we can control how long we'll let them stew on accepting the job and then what date they start. Uh, also, for the GS and the GG, we are responsible for the security clearance. So you will sit down with our security manager and to make sure that you can retain and obtain the level of security clearance that you'll need for that particular position that you're applying for. I think security clearances tie in something I wanted to talk about earlier and just kind of skipped over it. But 
As folks look, they go to the website and they look at the requirements for the jobs. Don't be scared if you're sitting with a secret clearance or no clearance, like Chad said, and say, no, I'm probably not right for this job. Let us worry about that. Put in your application um, and let us do the dirty work. Because if we want to hire you and we think you're a good fit, we're going to do the work and get you what you need to, to be successful in the job. So please don't deselect yourself. Hey, Trey, right. I can just double tap that. Like, I think, yep. I think you graciously put all of our code of contractor jobs on the website. I think to be clear, some of those PWSs aren't very clear, but if you're interested in working here and you think you have the bare minimum thing on that PWS, apply. We want to bring more people here than less. Uh, and, and I acknowledge some of those PWSs aren't as clearly written as maybe a civilian PWS. So I would say if you want any of those jobs, just apply. Like you lose nothing by clicking the button that you're interested. And we want to bring more people rather than less people for those positions. And time and experience and credentials, frankly, don't matter as long as we can get you here. All right. So to the group, what have we left out there? I think we've I think we've described it pretty good and walked through the timeline. But what have we left out there? What can we clean up to make it more clear for the audience out there? I would like to just add that, hey, um, and, and we touched on it. Not every single one of our unit members is, man, they are just rock stars upon rock stars before we hire them. They all need additional training when they show up to our unit. No one shows up here ready to go to work the first day. We typically invest for our military folks anywhere from four to 12 months worth of training uh, to make them a true functioning unit member. And, and I think it goes to be said also for our GS and uh, our contracting unit members, we invest time, energy, money, resources into every single unit member to, to maximize their potential while they're here. So please don't think that, hey, you've got to be 100% or have this additional skill set before you apply, because that's not the case, especially, hey, we're looking at attributes, not your skills. I think I would just remind people just to be their best, right? Like at the end of the day, this is a job interview. You're going to be competing against multiple different people and, and you self-selected in, right? So show us your best every day, day in and day out. It's only at most a four to five day process. I would say two, never forget that you're assessing us as well, right? It's really hard sometimes to remember when you're on the other side of the table that you're actually, you get to say yes or no, kind of like Barb said in the very beginning to this organization. So don't forget that. You should be looking at us and seeing if you want to work with the team of people that are in front of you. And lastly, ask questions, guys. Like there's no, there is no reason you shouldn't have every question answered. So if we offer you a job, you can accept that job or not. Uh, and we're okay if you don't accept a job here. Like we'd rather that kind of happen right now than you know a year down the line. But I think people think that like the questions they ask will be assessed. We're not never assessing you on the your questions you're asking. Uh, and I guarantee you, you're not going to ask a question we haven't heard before. But some of those things are what's going to determine whether or not you want the job, not us. Like we're going to ask you everything we need to ask you. Please understand that. But sometimes I think the candidates forget that they can ask us anything they need to to make sure this is a good job for them as well. That is all best done before we offer you a job. So you know that if you can take the job or not, uh, if it's given. And I would just say if, if you've heard rumant from folks that you've worked with who might have worked here in years past, uh, it's a very different organization than it was a few years ago. So I would just say to uh, come and see for yourself. Awesome advice all the way around. So I want to end on a positive note here. Um, Rob, we're going to end with you. So Barb, I want you to go first and then Chad, and then we'll end with Rob. But why should people make this uh, a goal in their career um, to come work here? 
I think if you want to do work that's meaningful, that has the potential to impact the world, then this might just be the place for you. I would say three things, I think, and kind of similar to what Barb said, you'll never have a job where you can see your impact day in and day out that quickly. It's one of the most reinforcing parts of the job is whatever you do, say X, you can see the Y uh, and the impact after that. I think we are incredibly well resourced, right? Maybe not in Manning, uh, but all the other things that go under resourcing, we have more of that than everyone else. So we can train people um, and give people what they need to do their job at an elite level. I also think people underestimate uh, what it's like to work for a team that's selectively manned, right? We're picking um, the people that meet uh, the attributes for our organization so everyone can run at the same speed and you don't have those normal kind of uh, churn and performance uh, related issues of everyone not running at the same speed that you might somewhere else. So I think it's the team, the impact and the reinforcement for doing those things. I would have to say that, hey, your ability to contribute to something that has significant effect on the direction of our country. We empower every single unit member to be a decision maker. That's why we screen to the level that we do and we hire uh, the folks that interact with all different agencies from inside the Beltway, DOD. Those folks right there typically get the job satisfaction that they don't get um, in big blue that we've seen uh, over years and years of uh, bringing people in. So I just want to say thank you to you guys and girls, Barb. Um, these are three of the busiest people in the unit, and for them to take an hour and 15 minutes out of their day just to come on here and answer some questions for all of you, um, very humbling to me, and I was uh, it's been awesome to be a part of it, so appreciate it. Thank you, Trey. All right, just want to give a more shout-out to Rob, Barb, and Chad. Uh, great episode, great information. If you're thinking about making this unit a stop on your career progression uh, listen to what they're saying set yourself up for the best opportunities when you get here to our ANS process and don't wait get your application in and see what life has in store for you here at the 724 all right y'all have a great week appreciate you tuning in thanks for listening to the insight through experience podcast later y'all